Welcome to Relaunch, the GCC podcast. I'm your host, Marty Duran, Director of Communications at the Great Commission Collective. We're a global network of churches joined together to plant churches and strengthen leaders. Joining me is the president of the Great Commission Collective, Dave Harvey, to begin a multi-episode conversation about relaunching vision and mission in a pandemic time. GCC President Dave Harvey stops by the virtual studio today for a conversation about delegation and decentralization. Why is this important in our churches? Why is it important in our pluralities? Senior leaders uh, really do need to learn uh, how to delegate and how to decentralize. Pluralities will be benefited when they learn to decentralize into the larger flock. So we're going to be talking about that today. I think it's an interesting conversation, and I hope that you're blessed and encouraged from it. Welcome back to another episode of Relaunch. This is actually episode five, and we are continuing to work through what it's like to uh, relaunch after the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, I'm again back with Dave Harvey, president of Great Commission Collective. Dave, how are you today? I'm well, Marty, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. So we're t- going to be talking about uh, delegating and decentralizing, and this is uh, this is a really important conversation for leadership, whether it's a senior leader or a plurality, uh, whether it's the newest elder on a board somewhere in a church. Um, the idea of giving people in the congregation the responsibility and or the authority to lead or to work in a ministry or whatever it might be is always important, but it seems like it might be like really important right now. Why do you think that might be? Well, I think the the pandemic creates a fresh opportunity for us to re-examine the use of authority roles and and really to move it back as even closer to some of the New Testament models we see. Mm. You know, we're we're in a time where we just don't know uh, how to proceed in some ways. There's no there's no playbook no seminary class. And, and so we're having to figure out our way forward. And yet we know that the New Testament was written at a time where there was no playbook for how the church was supposed to yeah. be done and uh, offers to us uh, principles and, and models. And in those principles and models, we see a lot of delegation. We see a lot of decentralizing. And so I think those kinds of studies are going to have fresh significance for us right now. Um, anytime we have a conversation like this, I think it's important to define terms uh, and as much leadership material as is available, both from like secular business and in the Christian orientation. Um, there's a lot of writing about letting things go, uh, trusting your people, that kind of thing. So let's start by kind of working definitions, at least for this conversation of delegation versus decentralization. Yeah, Marty, we, you and I were talking about this earlier, weren't we? Um, yeah. It's, I think that delegation is when we transfer responsibility from one person to another person. And, mm-hmm. and hopefully the wise leader is assuming in transferring that responsibility that there's also an authority to act. Yeah. Um, I distinguish that and, and decentralizing by recognizing that decentralizing is kind of an organizational reference and it has to do with with actually pushing power and people out and and so it's it's like completely uh fanning the responsibilities for Mm. the organization or in this case the church Mm -hmm. out 
and and not centralizing, not making a power center so that all decisions have to come through the center. So it's 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 pushing that out so that there are individual pockets where uh, where decisions can be made, things can be built and and ministry can take place. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I see that as one distinction. I was thinking uh, part of that conversation you and I had offline was that um, in my way of thinking about it was so you have an executive pastor and it's the springtime and the church has decided uh, via whatever the process is that they use that they need new lawn equipment, for instance. And so the executive pastor calls in the main, the head of maintenance uh, or the head of the yard keeping or whatever and says, um, Hey, we need, we've budgeted $5,000 for lawn care equipment. So uh, go down to wherever and buy a 36 inch ride mower and a backpack blower and two weed eaters. Or he could, and, and to me, that would be delegation. He gives the uh, head of maintenance the, the responsibility to go and do that. Uh, decentralizing in this instance would be calling in the head of maintenance and saying, uh, we budgeted $5,000 for lawn equipment. You know what you need, you know what your team needs. So just stay within that budget and go get what you need. And by that, they've, they've, delegated actually their authority. So the, they've decentralized in the sense that the authority has moved out, uh, so that the head of maintenance can make the decision that needs to be made about what needs to be purchased. So that's the way I think about it. Yeah. You know, that one of our cultural values are, it's, it's kingdom focus. It's, Mm -hmm. well, let me just go from the beginning, gospel integrity, relational connection, intentional care, deliberate collaboration, contextual application, healthy plurality, and, and kingdom focus. And that, that deliberate collaboration is really an important point. And I think it becomes all the more important in, in a post-pandemic world, mm-hmm. because I think the healthiest churches are going to be the ones that get collaboration. In other words, it's, we, we've got to move away from kind of the top-down super leaders and uh, I'm not saying this just because the internet world has changed and opened up leadership, but um, but because I think we're going to be more effective, and I think the resources that we've had in the past, whether the resources are meeting spaces, whether the resources are are money, whether the resources are is government support, I think they're going to be slowly removed. And, uh, you, you know, we were talking at one point about uh, a book called The Starfish uh, and the Spider. Yeah, that was and, in the cohort. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, in the cohort. So it's a book I just, I read, I read about, uh, I don't know, it was three or four years ago. And, and the main idea is that the healthiest organizations in the future will be built like starfish. Uh, starfish is a, is a, a neural network. It, it has no brain. You cut off an arm of a starfish and it just grows another arm back. Um, but you, you contrast that with a spider, you cut off a spider's head and the spider dies. Mm -hmm. The, the, the starfish is a kind of open network and, uh, it's, it's like, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous or, or, you know, I think something like that. In other words, there's no central command. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, these kinds of ideas and these kinds of structures are going to become more important as we move forward. And that's not to say that, that we're diminishing the importance or significance of leadership at all, or, or even the lead pastor at all. It, it's just that 
I, I think that we have to become more flexible. And part of that flexibility has to do with the delegation of not only responsibility, but authority as well, and, and being willing to decentralize more. I think uh, we see this in the life of Jesus and in the life of Paul in two instances when Jesus sent out 70. Uh, he actually said to them, I am giving you this authority to go out and to preach and to overcome and cast out demons and trade on serpents and scorpions and those kinds of things. Uh, and he didn't go with them. You know, we don't know what he did. <laughs> we literally don't know yeah. what Jesus did during that time. Uh, and then when Paul says to Titus, uh, go and, or, you know, go and appoint these elders on Crete, he didn't say go and appoint Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob on Crete to be elders. He said, Titus, go appoint elders. So it wasn't just a delegation of the responsibility to appoint elders, which he did, but he gave Titus the authority, apparently, from what we read in the scripture, to determine who those elders were going to be. And that's pretty significant, I think, when we come back to the life of the local church and we're thinking about the lead guy who often feels pressure, either internal or external, ministry-type pressure, to do so many things because he's the pastor. I'm the lead guy. I'm the senior guy. So I'm supposed to be doing these things. When the backstop often is, it's his responsibility to make sure they get done not to do them themselves and de uh, delegating and decentralizing are great opportunities to do that. Yeah, there is a, a, a principle at the heart of, of ministry uh, that is a, a principle of, of transference. Mm -hmm. it, it was at the heart of Christ's ministry, whether it was the choosing of the 12, the sending out of the 72, you know, the commissioning of the disciples in the Great Commission of Matthew 28 to go and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, mm -hmm. uh, all, of, all I have commanded you. Uh, Paul with Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 2, things I've entrusted you, these entrust the faithful men who'll be able to teach others also. Uh, you know, le leadership in the church is is different than leadership in the marketplace or in mm -hmm. the military. Because in the church, success is defined by this gospel transference. In fact, in fact, success is defined by gospel transference, service, and mm -hmm. humility, and reproducing yourself in others. And I think it it distinguishes itself in that way. So let's start kind of at what people kind of expect in a local church setting. You have your your plurality. You have a senior pastor. You have elders. Um, why is it important and how can a senior pastor effectively either delegate or decentralize to begin with just to within the plurality, not even getting to the church yet, just within the plurality? What are some steps that a lead pastor can take to make sure that he's doing that? Well, as far as the why question, um, you know, we should probably start with the, the more obvious benefits, like the fact that it, it spreads out the work, um, there is wisdom with Proverbs 15, without counsel, plans fail, but with mm -hmm. many advisors, they succeed. Uh, there's a proverb about safety, multitude of counselors, their safety. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was looking, uh, I, I, I found another reason by C.S. Lewis, I, I'd call it the, the playing the odds uh, reason, <laughs> where he says two heads are better than one because they are unlikely to go wrong in the same direction. <laughs> so plurality is kind of narrow, the margin for bad directions that we take. <laughs> so I, I think that, um, I, I think, Marty, that one of the things that we don't consider enough 
is that it takes real humility to delegate. In fact, it mm-hmm. takes more humility to delegate than to do. And leading by command and control, um, that that can be a burden because the, the one person or the couple of people are bearing all of the burdens. Also, I think it's important to note that I, it, it, it takes more humility to delegate than to do. So, so leading by command and control can be a burden because you're bearing all that responsibility, but it, it's far more efficient than the more cumbersome role of involving other people like you yeah. would do in a plurality, because that takes communication, that takes engagement, that takes patience, which ultimately requires humility. So I'm, I'm convinced that God gave us plurality, a plurality of elders, which is shared responsibility. God gave us a plurality, not because it's the most productive or efficient model, but because it imposes the need to be humble and to remain humble to make it work. So it, it helps the culture, it helps to foster that kind of culture. Because when you see a well-functioning plurality, it's typically you're seeing men who have achieved fruits of the spirit and, and mm-hmm. certainly a, a degree of humility towards God and towards one another. Uh, I think faith plays into it as well. Um, sometimes we don't delegate or uh, decentralize because we really don't trust God that he's going to be able to get it done through somebody else. Um, I think that that leads us to a point, then it becomes prideful, uh, maybe even accidental pride. I don't know if that's a thing, but uh, we don't have the faith that God is going to do it. So we don't release it because we think we can do it better in each and every instance. And that is a, a form of pride, I think. Uh, so there's a danger in not uh, trusting the plurality. Um, so how, well, how can and that we, happen? And we probably can do it better. I mean, yeah. that's the thing is anytime, <laughs> you know, anytime somebody who's been around for a while and has been embedded in the, in the church begins to delegate to somebody who hasn't been, that's right. There's a degree of faith because the reality is they probably can't do it better in many situations. That's good. And yet Jesus is the best example because he can yeah. do everything better. <laughs> And yet he's pushing ministry out to the 72 and to the disciples. And I, you know, so I I think we have a great example in him. That's awesome. Uh, So now we're to the how. So that was the why. Now to the how. How can, how could senior leaders do this? How can lead pastors make sure that they're doing this on a regular basis? Well, I think the, the plurality has to meet and define success. And in that definition of success, they have to authorize the senior pastor to act or the lead pastor to act in the best interests of the church and in the best interests of the plurality. And, and part of that authorizing him to act is, is to make sure that there is delegation going on. And so mm. first it's about, you know, it's about a belief uh, that, that this is good. It's about a culture that you build before it's about specific steps you take. A, a culture that recognizes that that we can do far more if we delegate out, that we can build a better model of humility, a better model of unity, and we can have a further reach for the glory of God. The gospel can go to further places for the glory of God if we are willing to give up power. I th- I, and I want to loop around because you're, you're hitting on this over and over. And I just want to make sure that, that it really comes out that, 
Um, delegation, sometimes we, we limit that to specific tasks. Uh, business leaders and church leaders too talk about the difference between delegation and dumping. Dumping is getting rid of something we don't want to do on top of somebody else. Uh, delegation would be then uh, taking into consideration their gifts and skill set and giving them the opportunity to fulfill a responsibility mm-hmm. that we could have done, but it will help them and us if they do it. I like those distinctions. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and then decentralizing actually changes, the, it pushes out the decision-making process, not merely the action involved in the decision. So uh, for instance, in a church I pastored once, we would pass the budget each year and we'd have a like a building and grounds part of the budget. And whoever was in, you know, the leader of the building and grounds for that particular year, this was a Southern Baptist church, smaller. So we still had, you know, ministry team, lots of ministry teams. So whoever the building and grounds guy was, or lady, I think a couple of times, um, I would say, this is your budget for the year. Uh, you, you don't need to spend more than this. If you feel like you need to do, you need to come back to the finance team, but here's your budget for the year, make it last and bring your receipts to the office. And so we pushed out as much, uh, we decentralized as much of the decision-making process as we could so that uh, the pastors, the, the elder leadership of the church, weren't have to make decisions about whether we needed to buy a box of six penny nails or a box of eight penny nails, or whether we needed to buy gasoline, uh, regular or, you know, high test. You know, none of those kinds of things were decisions that need to be made in the pastor's office. They were decisions that need to be, pushed out. So we, we decentralized the decision-making process as much as we could. And I think pastors will find some relief. The challenge is training people to make those decisions that are in accordance with your church's, you know, mission, vision, and values and things like that. So that's where one of the, I think, fear factors comes in for some leaders is if I decentralize like this, they're not going to do it the way that I think it needs to be done. And some of that comes back to our training and vision casting and, and pouring into them so the decisions that they make are aligned with where the church is going. Yeah, no question. I mean, we are oriented almost from from being children uh, on up through the teen years that, that leadership means that you just take action, that you direct right. people and take action. <laughs> And, and sometimes it's because for, for, for church leaders, it's, it's because we draw our model of leadership from things outside of Scripture. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I believe it's good to read and to read broadly. I, I like to say you got to read to lead. Sure. Um, but most models of leadership are formed from warfare. Are formed mm-hmm. from the military, mm-hmm. and uh, and the business borrows those metaphors and those principles and writes business books, and then the church borrows them from business and tries to apply it to the church, and and it it it's advocating typically a kind of top down, power centralized, command directed operation, which which again is necessary for the military. I mean, Marty, my, my son had had five deployments in the army, um, two of them were into hot zones. And when he was there, I would not have wanted him to have a superior officer who was collaborating right. over whether to take a hill. You, know, <laughs> you, need, you need command at that point. In order to do war, you need a coercive command structure that's really going to court-martial for anything less than complete obedience in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. But the problem is you can't import that into a world where the, the, the culture 
is supposed to be defined by humility, patience, and collaboration. And of course, I'm talking mm -hmm. about the church. You can't import that. It just doesn't work that way. So the, the problem is uh, sometimes who we're looking to, to define what leadership is. That's really good. Um, we, we, I think we take a, uh, and I don't want to say this is probably going to sound bad when I say it. So I'll go ahead and explain that. I don't mean it. Listen to everything folks. Listen to, listen to the whole thing. <laughs> uh, we tend to take a, uh, almost a spiritual, spiritual warfare posture and emphasize the warfare and see the enemy, ever, see enemies everywhere. Um, and everything becomes a hill on which to die. Uh, as a, but the picture that Jesus gave of leading the church is that of the shepherd, not that of the general. So when we come into that, there's sure there's things that even a shepherd needs to know about leading his flock, but ultimately he's leading a flock. And I think that uh, is a distinction that we need to keep in mind, even as we are organizing, even as we are structuring uh, a church ministry for a, a specific context, uh, that it's ultimately sheep that we're leading. It's sheep that we're uh, maturing in faith. It's sheep that we're preparing to lead other sheep. So shepherding is a little different right. uh, than taking the hill. Yeah, and and for anybody listening that's that feel, feels like we are um, diminishing the importance of the role of leadership, the, the way I would speak to that is I would say, um, the church does not abandon authority in leadership. It, it just stewards it differently. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you got the, the, where is it? It's like in Matthew, mother of James and John, uh, can yeah. my son sit on your right and left hand <laughs> yes. and, and the thanks, 10 mom. hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot, mom. The <laughs> 10 hear it. They're indignant. And Jesus calls, kind of huddles everybody up. And he says, it, it's so fascinating what he says. He says, you know, that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Mm -hmm. It shall not be so among you. Yep. And so then he, he, he lays out this whole other path that if you want to be great, you've got to be a servant. If you want to be first, you, you, you must become a slave, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. And, and I think that that signals a profound shift in the, in the nature of leadership. It, from from coercion to humility, there's still an authority that's gained, but mm -hmm. it's, it's authority that's drawn from different places and derived on a, a different basis and different kinds of action. It's it's not coercive. It's it's humble and service oriented. It's it's not controlled heavy. It's it's opening one's life and heart. It's it's not it's not centralized. Uh, it's it's freely giving away power. So I, I think, that, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if you want to get into the power discussion now, Marty, but I, I, I think that this is something uh, that we need to talk about because this is this goes beyond the pandemic, but it's a it's a cultural hot issue right now because power is being so has been so misused in different places and and it's been allowed to exist without identifying its existence. Well, yeah, there's, there's hardly a way that we can look at leadership and authority and power in the new Testament, or even in the life of Moses for crying out loud and come to the idea that Christian leadership is about bossing people around or telling everybody what to do or something like that, rather than 
he that's going to be the greatest among you is going to be the servant of everybody. I mean, how did we get that one flipped around? But that's exactly what the scripture says. Yeah, I think we have to see that that with with, with serving a savior who makes all things new, what what he's doing is he's he's redeeming authority. He's redeeming power. So it's not an either or. It's not like we have to sweep this stuff under the rug and say, well, that was just a worldly thing. You know, when I say power, I'm I'm not speaking of the fallen form of it, like like domination and mm-hmm. exploitation or coercion. I'm speaking of of the redeemed version, which is an authority to act, a, a capacity to create, uh, to, to reproduce. The, and in, I, I, love, I love Andy Crouch's definition of power. He calls it our ability to make something of the world. Mm. And uh, he starts with just going back to Genesis chapter one, the, the living God opens history with acts of power. Let there be light, let there be water, let there be land, plants. And then at the climax of that, he, he transfers the responsibility for the, for the keeping and cultivating to these image bearers, male and female, to continue. So he says, be fruitful and multiply, subdue it, have dominion, Gen- Genesis 1.28. In, in other words, go and exercise your gifts, your abilities, your leadership, your innovation, your power to stoke the flourishing of, of creation. So, I mean, what's kind of cool in the context of this conversation is that human history opens with this spectacular display of delegation. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the better we do at managing the good power, uh, the, the more we seem to, to have of it. You know, it's, I mean, you just think about people in the world, whether it's, whether it's Steve Jobs or Tom Brady, uh, uh, who, whoever you choose, the more effective we are, again, to use Crouch's definition, at making something of the world, the more effective we are at doing that, the more power we seem to gather. And, and we can try to humbly deny that because we're Christians and we don't want to have to think about that or we want to yeah. spiritualize that. But when we, when we deny it or don't understand it, then we miss the abuse of it. Mm-hmm. And so denying it doesn't diminish it. It just makes us more, more naive. So I think leaders fear centralizing sometimes or decentralizing sometimes because they don't understand power and, and they want to keep it. This leads uh, kind of naturally into a final point that we want to talk about. And I think this is probably going to be kind of an introductory point on this subject. I imagine this will be a whole podcast of its own. And that is the uh, the observation that some uh, church consultants or church observers or those who've worked in church life are making that post-pandemic world, uh, and maybe this is more especially to the West because we've more full-timed uh, clergy than, than other parts of the world have, um, but the idea that we moving forward, uh, church planting and church leadership, sustained church leadership, maybe moving more in a bivocational direction. Uh, Tom Rayner, I think, has referred to marketplace pastors uh, in the same way. And you referenced a book, uh, I think, in staff meeting recently uh, called Covocational Pastoring, I think is the name of it. Brad Briscoe, yep. Yep. Uh, so speak to that a little bit. Do you, do you see that that's a possibility? What are some of the things that we ought to be thinking about as it relates to either church planting or leadership in the long term, where 
people might choose to remain bivocational or co-vocational as they pastor? Yeah, I think I think this is a reality that we have to look at and anticipate uh, because many are anticipating long-term shifts in the financial realities, uh, not only of the United States and Canada, but of the world. Mm-hmm. And so the question becomes, how can we do ministry less expensively? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the answer is, well, one answer is, well, we return to Paul's method of being a tent maker. How do we protect evangelism and, and better embed in the community as a credible witness for Christ? Well, mm-hmm. the answer is re- return to Paul's method of, of being a, a tent maker. So I, I think, Marty, I, I'm sympathetic to, to the desire for people who feel like they're called to ministry, to want to be in full-time ministry. I, I remember that being a, a burning desire in my own heart 35, Same. 36 years ago. Yep. And I would not have wanted to settle for a part-time job because it, it, it kind of would have felt like half a calling or, yeah. or junior clergy or something like that. And there, there can be an unhealthy classism among pastors too. Uh, in which guys that are full-time and have benefits and by benefits, I don't mean insurance, I mean like expense accounts, <laughs> car allowances and stuff like that. Uh, and then you got a bivocational guy over here who works down at the sawmill and pastors a 50 member church that's been around forever and doesn't grow very much. And there can become a, sort of an elitism uh, among pastors that, Oh, he's just, you know, he's doing the best he can, but he's bivocational. Uh, it may be that this is the best model that we have for the future. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we have to get over that, uh, that reluctance, uh, of, of feeling like people that are, are part-time will be less vested, mm-hmm. uh, because I think that they're going to be orienting from their call that, uh, call from God to ministry rather than the amount of money that they're making each week. Um, but I, you know, I, like I said, I'm sympathetic because I think when you when you cobble together a biblical job description for a pastor, boy, it does. It seems like a full time role, but uh, I think there are there are things at stake here that are are driving us back to scripture and getting us looking closer at history and 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 really reminding us that that hey, you know, a, a fully compensated clergy is is pretty much the luxury of a of a well-financed church yeah and it's not necessarily the norm in most parts of the world um and to, and to close the loop on this conversation uh bivocational ministry is going to require both delegation and decentralization to an extent that some guys have never experienced it before yes absolutely um and I, I think that even for, for GCC, one of the conversations we're having is, is what does it look like to plant churches aggressively in the future when there isn't as much money as there was in the past? And so the fact that we're going through hard times does not, does not adjust the commission that Christ has given us to go. And so we have to find uh, new new models, new methodologies to be able to do that. And I think one, you know, one thing we need to explore and begin to apply is this, is this idea of bivocational or co-vocational ministry.
Thank you for listening to Relaunch, the GCC podcast. Be sure to subscribe in the podcast app of your choice. And if you have a moment, rate and review at your app and recommend to your friends. If you haven't visited our website, it's gccollective.org. You can find us on Twitter at the GC Collective, Instagram at Great Commission Collective, and you can easily find our Facebook page by searching there. Until next episode, on behalf of Dave Harvey and the entire GCC team, I'm Marty Durant.